Hello. Hello, you humans out there on this Monday morning. Ellie Krug here with Ellie 2.0, where I talk about practical idealism, celebrate idealism, and share about my work and what I'm learning as I go across America and Canada now, exercising my idealism. There you go. I probably used the word idealism and ideal more times than you've heard in the last three weeks. Um, in this first segment, my A segment, I try to highlight the work of people who try to make the world a better place. And um, often I'm speaking about older folks, um, sometimes folks who are no longer with us. Today I want to talk about an idealist um, we lost um, just last month, actually. His name, um, his name is Christopher Tripp. His nickname was Tripp Zenitis. Um, and Tripp was considered by many, believe it or not, um, he was expected by many to enter politics, and many thought that he would be our first gay president. Tripp Zenitis grew up in Indiana and um, graduated from high school there, and then he attended uh, New York University, NYU, um, in um, the early 2000s. And in fact, he was at NYU on September 11th. He lived just three blocks away from the World Trade Center. And when the towers came down, Tripp did something that most civilians did not do. He ran towards the towers because he wanted, he wanted to help. He had always had a, he had always had a, a fantasy of being a, a firefighter and he wanted to go help the FDNY, the Fire Department of New York, on 9-11 as they dealt with the tragedy. And in fact, he volunteered for the FDNY on 9-11 for 14 hours. Um, he was a high flyer at NYU. He was the student body president. He instituted a number of different organizations and was involved in a number of things. And when he graduated from NYU, where he could have gone and done anything, Tripp actually went and joined the Fire Department of New York. He joined the FDNY, where he worked his way up to fire marshal. Now, that in itself is fairly, I think, extraordinary. You've got a NYU graduate who became a firefighter. But it, go, it gets on beyond that. And in 2008, as the wars of Iraq and Afghanistan got worse, Tripp then decided that he would volunteer to join the Air National Guard. Um, where he eventually became a helicopter pilot, flying rescue helicopters with the 106th Rescue Wing out of New York. Um, he joined the military still when it was don't ask, don't tell. So remember, Tripp Trip is gay. He was gay. And he went into the military knowing that he would have to hide his identity. I mean, this is a very brave man. Um... And ultimately, he served three tours of duty in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, his crew was credited with saving 100 lives in a three-month period during one of those tours. Um, in 2014, he took a leave of absence from the New York Fire Department and entered Stanford Law School, um, a top-five law school. I mean, this is not, you know, just very few people get into Stanford Law 
where he shined, in part because of his out, uh, outgoing, likable personality and his engagement in pro bono work. While at law school, he helped secure a special immigrant visa for an Afghan interpreter. And then he went on and co-founded the Stanford Law Veterans Organization. Um, and um, in the course of being at Stanford, he came across a plaque in the basement of the law school um, that listed Stanford graduates who had died in World War II. It had been lost. They had just abandoned that plaque. And he single-handedly worked to get that plaque um, uh, uh, reconditioned and then rededicated um, at, at the, on the Stanford grounds. In 2017, when he graduated from law school, he received the National Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender Bar Association Student Leadership Award. So of all the law students, all the gay laws, there are a lot of them in law school. This trip was the one who was recognized to get that um, award. And then, um, right after law school, he was hired by a New York, New York City law firm as a young associate. And somewhere along the way, in the summer of 2017, in between graduating from law school, studying for the bar, um, and preparing to take the bar, somewhere around that way, he wrote a paper um, he, uh, that was published in, an or in a uh, publication called Just Security, where he argued for the end of Israeli occupation in the West Bank, saying that it was far more problematic than, it, than helpful, and that it actually it imperiled uh, America's interests because of that occupation. And we could go down the line about that occupation, and, and I have uh, fairly strident views about um, how the rights of the Palestinians are um, being extinguished, but we don't need to have that discussion. So Trip Zenitis uh, was on leave from his law firm job, his New York City law firm job, when he was on his third tour of duty in Iraq, flying his helicopter with six others, including another uh, New York City firefighter, when the helicopter crashed in western Iraq in the middle of March. It killed all aboard, including Trip. Now, the things that people have said about Trip, people that they shared, are give a sense of what this young man was like. One of his... Um, professors at Stanford Law wrote that, quote, he was building toward elected office and he would have been a leader for our times. Trip Zenitis was gold. We are richer for his life and we owe something back for it, unquote. And then there is a wonderful piece um, in the Daily Beast um, with a uh, title of Trip Zenitis was supposed to be the first gay president. It came out on uh, the 1st of April. I highly recommend it because as you read this, you will get a sense of what this 37-year-old man was like. But um, he went to law school with Dana Rehnquist, who happened to be the, the granddaughter of the, of the late Chief Justice William Rehnquist. And at a, a gathering um, of Zenitis' friends, um, in memorial for, for, for Tripp, she, she wrote and spoke, she said this, he touched us not because he gland-headed or code-switched between being a firefighter, a lawyer, a pilot, a coach, an activist, a diver, a singer, or a friend, Rehnquist said. He touched so many people because he was genuine, 
because the closer I got to him, the more I wanted to be close. Because he made a life out of giving all of himself to others, and he was our hero, unquote. And then one of his sisters said, his younger sister Brett, Brett, B-R-I-T-T, at this memorial service where Dana Rehnquist spoke, Britt said this, that she did not grow up in her brother's shadow. Instead, she grew up in Trump's radiant light. Radiant light. Unquote. I don't know how you could pay a human a greater compliment than to say that they exuded radiant light. You know... He offered, he was, Trip Zenitis was the best that our country had to offer. He, I don't know, I could not find anything where he called himself an idealist. But no doubt he was. No doubt he believed in the, the greater good of humans. And no doubt he believed in the ability of a single person to make a difference in the world. And clearly he did that while he was alive. And I have a feeling that he will continue to do that in his death. You know, our country, this place we call America, has many trips in it. Many of those trips are considered, quote-unquote, other in our society. And you know, all they are is humans, just like everyone else, trying to make their way. But many of them inspire us. Many of them lead us. Many of them, if we could give them the chance, if we could absolutely just give them the chance to, to fly, just like Tripp did in his helicopter, they could make such a difference in our country. They could. Be on the lookout for other trips. You will find them if you look for them. But in the meantime, think of this trip, Trip Zenitis, and what he did for our country, what he did for his family, and what he did for you and me. When I come back, I'll do my big set, big set, B segment and talk a little bit about something I'm finding about the divide between metro and rural Minnesota. This is Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0. Thank you. Brending Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years. Celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. 
What kind of a jackass would let an animal pick their insurance? Did you really think a lizard could save you money on car insurance? Would you let a duck pick your health policy? Insurance can be a zoo, but this is ridiculous. What you really need is an insurance agent that isn't looking out for the insurance companies. You need Cheryl at Array, an independent agent with 30 years experience looking for the best rate possible. Quit monkeying around and call 763-504-3067. That's 763-504-3067 for Cheryl at Array, representing you, not the insurance companies. At Pride Institute, being LGBTQ plus is the norm, not the exception. Their highly trained and skilled staff understand your issues and will help you live a happy, healthy life as a proud LGBTQ plus person. They offer you hope to overcome your addiction and live the life you want. Their treatment programs are designed to assist you in developing the knowledge, skills, and attitudes for long-term recovery. Therapy groups include health education, LGBTQ issues, HIV and chronic illness, trauma, grief and loss, transgender support, nicotine recovery, education and sexual health. Pride Institute offers a residential treatment program, a partial hospitalization program that includes day programming with lodging and an intensive outpatient program. If you or someone in your life can benefit from guidance and coping skills, life balance, and other tools necessary for long-term recovery, check them out at pride-institute.com or call 800-547-7433 now. As Trump assembles a war cabinet, including John Bolton as National Security Advisor and Mike Pompeo as Secretary of State, as the U.S. continues to wage war in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Syria, and as Trump threatens war with North Korea, it is time to act. Stop the endless U.S. wars. Say no to new wars with Iran or North Korea. Join an anti-war protest on Sunday, April 15th that is part of National Spring Actions Against Endless War. Gather at Hennepin and Lagoon at 1.30. March at 2 p.m. with a return to the starting location. As the doomsday clock is set for two minutes to midnight and the military budget grows, demand money for housing, education, and the environment. Join the anti-war protest on April 15th at Hennepin and Lagoon in Minneapolis. Gather at 1.30, march at 2. Initiated by Minnesota Peace Action Coalition. For more information, call 612-827-5364. That's 612-827-5364. Ellie 2.0 with Ellie Krug, and that is actually wonderful bumper music that to follow the piece that I just did about uh, Trips and Itis. Um, yeah, great song. Thank you, Indigo Girls. So, in this B segment, I talk um, about my work. I talk a little bit about what I'm finding. I try my hardest not to be braggadocious because I don't like people who brag about things that they're doing. And frankly, I don't like people who talk all about themselves all the time. But uh, this station has made it clear that they want me to talk about my work, um, that they want me to talk about what I'm finding as I go across America. And so here we are. Um, as many know, I speak and train across North America, the U.S. and Canada, in, and in states where um, LGBTQ people um, have rights in some states where we don't have rights. And in the Twin Cities, um, many of us know this, but not everyone, uh, we live in a bubble. We do. It's a bubble where um, LGBTQ people 
um, people on that alphabet, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or queer, where um, we are, for the most part, and that's a very broad brush I just painted, but where we are more often than not, maybe that's the better way to say it, Ellie, accepted. Where, um, if, uh, where many people have family members who are LGBTQ. And in fact, we have 12.5%, believe it, believe it or not, of the Twin Cities metropolitan population that identifies as being on the LGBTQ alphabet. You throw in, we've got three, three million people in uh, the Twin City metro, uh, seven county metro. That's a lot of LGBTQ people. And so here in the Twin Cities, this bubble that we live in, it's not unusual to see a mommy and a mommy or a daddy and a daddy with their little baby. And people are like, oh, that's so beautiful. And everybody is, you know, really pretty good with it. Things are different, though, when we get, oh, I don't know, 25 miles past downtown. They start to change. And certainly when you're 50 miles outside of downtown Minneapolis, you're in a whole different landscape. That is greater in Minnesota. And there is no bubble there. Um, people are far less accepting. Um, and there are not as many LGBTQ people who are visible. Although they are out there, I can guarantee you that. They're not nearly as visible. Because they feel that they are at risk. People are less tolerant. People are less accepting. Um, there are more stares. There are more um, rumors. There's more gossiping. And there's more marginalization that takes place in greater Minnesota. <clears throat> And um, so let me, that's helping to lay the stage here for what I'm going to talk about. Now, as I do this uh, training and speaking stuff, and I have a business doing it, yes, I make a living at it, thank goodness, um, people like my work, but you know what, I'm learning as I go along. I'm figuring things out, you know, relative to pricing, to content. I've learned not to swear. I mean, even acceptable swear words, I, I've learned that lesson. Um, and I'm learning other things. One of the most difficult lessons I learned, um, because it was very hard on my heart, um, was a lesson that I learned in another state. Another state that has a, you know, a, a somewhat urban population as well as a rural population. That state would be Iowa, um, my old home state. In many ways, I consider myself still an Iowan. I love Iowa. Um, but it, I learned a lesson in Iowa last year that um, was a hard lesson to learn. And um, I have a training called Gray Area Thinking, which is about general human inclusivity. It's not LGBTQ-focused. It's not transgender-focused. It is human-focused. Uh, and I give that training. I have given it across North America to great reviews. People like it. But last year, I was in Iowa in a city with a metropolitan area of about 100,000 people where I did two intense days of Gray Area Thinking training for a governmental entity. Um, and one day I did three of those training, three two-hour trainings, and the second day I did two two-hour trainings. It was a lot of work. What I did not realize was um, that this uh, governmental entity where I did the training didn't promote gray area thinking by saying that it was a transgender speaker who would be putting on the training. Um, and I did not think about that being important, I've since learned uh, that it is important to let people know that the speaker is transgender, at least when I'm outside of the bubble of the Twin Cities. And so that was not made known to attendees. 
And so when people got into the room and when they attended, you know, they're there for the training and they realize that my voice does not match my appearance. And I do talk about that. Um, I do need to let them know why I sound like a man, but look like a woman. Um, and I don't dwell on it, but I do say that I'm transgender. Well, as I found out in this Iowa city, um, there were people in the audience that had less than tolerant views of transgender people, mainly for religious reasons, religious convictions. And what I found out from evaluations later on was that um, some felt that I was thrusting my quote-unquote lifestyle choice on them, even though the training had nothing to do with me being transgender or any discussion about LGBTQ people. And in those evaluations, some people, we're not talking a lot, but we're talking enough to make my heart hurt a great deal. Some people misgendered me. I mean, they called me he and him in those evaluations. Um, some said that I disrespected the Bible, even though I didn't talk about the Bible. Um, and it was, not, it was not very pretty. It wasn't very pleasant. And then I had another experience last year in rural Minnesota, again with governmental employees, uh, many of whom were health and social uh, workers, healthcare and social workers, all were women. And again, the evaluations from that, uh, it was a gray area thinking training, but uh, some of those evaluations were critical about me being transgender. Um, and that meeting also hadn't been um, advertised or promoted that um, I was coming and doing the training and I happened to be a transgender woman. So I developed a new approach after those experiences and decided that when I speak in rural Minnesota or rural areas, um, I give a disclaimer. I tell everybody at the beginning of the talk that I know that some people may have religious beliefs about transgender people. I say that I'm not looking to make anyone change those beliefs. I'm not looking to make anyone uncomfortable. And I always, and I give, in this disclaimer, I give people the opportunity to leave the room if they want. No judgment. I'm not going to hold it against them. And I want to do that. I want to offer them that because um, the last thing I want for me or for them is for them, if they are unhappy with me for who I am. I don't want them sitting through my training because they're not going to hear anything. They're just going to tune me out entirely and they'll find every reason in the world to make me fit some kind of a stereotype. So I've been doing that. And that brings me to an experience I had last month back in rural Minnesota, speaking to government employees, mainly social workers. It was a big gathering in a central, south, south central Minnesota town 150 people in the audience. It happened to take place in a church auditorium to boot. There was a pulpit there, and I was wondering, well, do I stand at the pulpit when I speak, which I did not do. Um, it had not been advertised that the talk was going to be by a transgender person. I gave the disclaimer. Um, thankfully, no one left after the disclaimer. And we had, for that gray area thinking, we have an audience participation component and usually almost everyone participates. I give people a choice about whether they participate or not, but they, on, on, on this day in this Minnesota training last week, some people didn't participate. And it did not look like people were particularly plussed by the training. And I drove away wondering if um, this was fitting into a pattern with me going to greater Minnesota to rural areas. Then you can imagine the apprehension I had when I heard from the leader of the group that she wanted to send me a note I don't get notes very often. Um, and not all long after that, a note came. And much to my surprise, 
Rather than critical remarks, the note contained accolades. She handwrote out a number of emails that she received the morning after my training. These were emails that were not solicited. And she wanted to let me know what those emails were. And these emails um, had time and again, people were writing saying they were thankful that the organization was open enough to have me there, to have me, Ellie Krug, a transgender person, come and do a training. Some people wrote that they, sh they thought it showed how inclusive the governmental entity was. Um, I, now, I tell you this story, not to brag, okay, but rather to show that you never know how other will be received. If we approach people the right way, with respect, allowing them their space, um, they may be willing to give all of that back to you and more. Um, and uh, I don't thrust my opinions and views about the world when I do my gray area thinking training, and I tell everybody it's training for all humans. And so I think the takeaway here is that, you know, things are way better than what we expect. People are more open. We just have to give them the opportunity to do that. And frankly, if I had a million bucks, I'll tell you right now, I could change the landscape as it relates to other being other throughout the Midwest, but I don't have that million bucks and I don't have any more time. <laughs> so here you go. You've been listening to me, Ellie Krug, one of the relatively few transgender radio hosts in the world with Ellie 2.0. If you've enjoyed the show, email me at Ellie2.0radio, Ellie2.0radio at gmail.com. Let me know what topics you'd like covered. Tell others about the show. I am hearing all kinds of great things about people liking this. A big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson. Brett, you are fabulous. I will be back next week with another story, with other sharing about what it means to be a practical idealist in America. Bye.